what does the Philly culture mean to you from what you've heard and the people you've met there already? Um, just like the fans. I mean, like, that's the type of place you'll want to play with when you love football. So uh, the fans are all into it. It's a place where, I mean, they're diehard. They, they love football. I mean, when, when you love football and the fans love football, that's just a place you want to be. Happy Friday to you, I think, because this is a this is going to be a fun show. Top flight show, Valdosta, Georgia. Hello, hello, uh, Valdosta, Georgia, home of one Malcolm Mitchell, Super Bowl champion of uh, the New England Patriots, Georgia Bulldog, terrific human being. Can I tell you something, please, Malcolm Mitchell? Terrific human being. Valdosta State, weren't they a powerhouse of sorts? They were a powerhouse point? at one point, like double A type ball. Right. Yeah. Like, like definitely not like expensive uniforms, but they were kicking the shit out of everybody yeah. they played. Yeah. You want to lay the show out? I'd love to. Two sensational guests in Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Philadelphia Eagles. Also, your pro comp. And Bruce Arians, head coach. Super Bowl champs, Tampa Bay Bucks. What they call a two-headed monster right there. That's a sick little guest lineup. And we're going to talk Aaron Rodgers here before long. Your boy, A-Rod. This pod feels like a super team a little bit. People are going to start saying this pod's unfair. All these great personalities assembled in one pod. Might be an ad read. Will there be an ad read in here? Oh, I might have an ad read somewhere in here. That's you're a big sick. ad guy now, huh? I get back yeah. from vacation and you're like making deals. I, uh, my young family was in the home. I'm in my redacted Grand Cherokee in my garage recording ad reads into my mobile phone while you're on vacation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a 24-7, 365 sort of guy for this pot. The work and note. I would like to say there was about 10 hellos on the end of that recording that Macon sent us. I, it, wanted, I wanted to give the cowboy some options. You want to give him some options, huh? And I think you picked a, a fantastic... Hello Fresh, hello. There, hey, that's for free. Hello that's Fresh. That's a free Hello Fresh plug Dang. right there. Twenty eight percent cheaper than a trip to the grocery store. Man of the people, it's good to see you remember the ad read. Yeah. Other business news. Hmm. We got a new contract on the table for making. That's what my sources tell me. There's a contract. It's hot off the printer, and uh, there's just people going through it with a little like uh, fine tooth comb. Yeah, fine tooth comb. Yeah, it might be on the table. It might be printed out. It might be hot. One thing it's not is signed, I've, uh, <laughs> I've noticed, by either party. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't want to distract you before the pod, but I brought your chair out here. Oh, mm, that might have been a touch over-modulated. Sorry to Cowboys, sorry to the listeners. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I sat down in here and uh, didn't even notice. That's how good it felt to be back home in this chair. So I moved the chair back into the room that Macon used to really like, but it's going to be gone soon. This is just a way to get you to sign the fucking contract, <laughs> and let's move on. And by the way, Devontae Smith, who you mentioned, uh, if I might say so myself, um, really succinct, coherent layout of the show, uh, he 
phoned in ahead of time and picked our layup line song. He did. And as per tradition, it was one I have I had never heard of. It's called Three Pete by Lil Wayne, who uh, who you're a little bit familiar with, who had one of the best three album runs in the history of of, uh, of music. Carter, Carter Two, Carter Three, like all in the formative years, our formative years. Yeah, finally somebody older than us. Yeah, he's older than us. Born in 1982. Yep, he's old. God, Lil Wayne's getting old. Mm-hmm. Not to mention a few of the mixtapes in that little run were album quality, Drought 3, Dedication 2, two of the best of all time. When I met Lil Wayne once at the Super Bowl, uh, I told him how much I loved The Suffix, which is one of his uh, mixtapes. And he was extremely nice, but could not remember that mixtape. <laughs> That's how many great mixtapes... Little Wayne has. And then he remembered it after like three seconds and and uh, and I got a dap and that sort of thing. But when you got so many hits, you forget them. Little Wayne got married last month. Congrats, Little so, Wayne. Congrats. Wheezy, right. baby. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Set the scene. What's going on with the leaks and that sort of thing? Dagon. Uh, he went to high school in Chico where our guy Ace paints. Oh, shout out to Ace. Yeah. Maybe he knows Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he knows why Aaron Rodgers is upset. Well, I mean, where do we start? Do we start his entire career where the Packers draft only defensive players and his oh my God. and his heir apparent? Or do we start draft day where Adam Schefter reports that Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay? And now we're to the point where Devontae Adams is tweeting, hey, you never know what you got till it's gone sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that tweet. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and now, uh, all Pave paradise, put up a parking lot. All hell is breaking loose today with Shefty having to say, Oh no, I had the story for a while. Just oh. thought maybe draft day was the day. Whoops. Just pick draft day. But now the question is, what are we doing? I don't know what we're doing and I don't know where all the leaks are coming from. You know, somebody asked me last night, do you think the leaks came from Aaron Rodgers? And to that, I would say wait a day because today Adam Schefter came out and was like, well, I kind of like manufactured those leaks draft day, which people have raised the a question of ethics uh, surrounding Adam's uh, choice of timing and also just like what he leaked purportedly. I think when it comes to those leaks before I heard what Schefter said, I could easily see that coming from the player. It happens all the time coming from the player. It comes from the player's camp. You know, things come from teams all the time. I don't think that stuff is crazy. The Jerry Krause thing, which you heard, which Mm -hmm. was that reportedly Aaron Rodgers and teammates used to clown Brian G is what I'm going to call him, or I'm going to let you say his last name. G is right. Well, how do you say his last name? G. (laughs) You can't say it either. The one guy that's got you stumped. It's a really inflammatory name for like podcasters. Gute, really hard to say that name. Gutekunst. <laughs> he's in the group text making fun of uh, the front office, the GM. You know, he's making fun of the people upstairs in a group text, and he's calling himself essentially Michael Jordan, and he's calling uh, Brian G, our boy, Jerry Krause. And now, if you've seen The Last Dance, you know that's not a compliment. I don't think necessarily he gave himself that metaphor to play with. I think it might have come from some teammates. But nonetheless, it's not really that out of the ordinary that people are flaming owners, coaches, GMs, shit, anybody in a group text. Like, a group text is an ugly place. Okay, so while I think 
it's totally normal. And while I think, although it's harsh, there are some real parallels with, with Brian G uh, and his handling of uh, this situation and the talent he has in Aaron Rodgers. I don't think, um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers leaked that part. Somebody asked me if he leaked that part. I'm like, that would be, that would be a weird thing to leak yourself just because to me, if you're trying to get traded, you already intimidate the hell out of people. You know, GM number two, who's going to be making a move for 12, is saying to himself, do I want to be the next Jerry Krause? This guy is just like, he's bigger than me. Aaron Rodgers is bigger than any guy in the front office in the NFL. Think about it. Name me a GM that's bigger than Aaron Rodgers. Trader Dave Gettleman. <laughs> Bill Belichick, that's about it. If you think about a guy who kind of doubles as a GM. Bill's dog. Bill's dog. That's about it. I mean, like, seriously. So if you're, if you're a GM somewhere else, you're probably saying to yourself, like, you hear that report, oh, man, that's kind of fucking scary. I sure would like him in the building, but if he's going to be making fun of me downstairs uh, and calling me Jerry Krause, that would suck. I don't think Aaron Rodgers leaked that. I do think there's a bit of ghostwriting going on when it comes to Brian G and Ian Rappaport. I mean, I read a couple of those tweets this week, and they look like they were written by our boy Brian G. There's actually an article on how to pronounce the Packers GM's name. For the goot part, think Gouda cheese and make sure you say the hard G instead of how some people pronounce it, as if the G has an H sound. Like, what the fuck? Nobody's pronouncing it Judah. I don't think that's what they're saying. Goot. It's goot. Goot. Gouda. It's goot. Yeah, like the cheese. Yeah, it's Gouda. And then next, add the last name of the 1990s era Packers linebacker George Kuntz, but with a twist. <laughs> this is the dumbest article I've ever seen. And then I think they take it back, though, because that would be Gouda Kunst. I don't. Gouda Kunst. That's how you're supposed to say it. But then don't they say there's an uh there, not an ooh? No, it's Gouda Kunst. Gouda. Gouda Kunst. Gouda like the cheese. Kunst. Gouda Kunst. Okay. Brian Gouda Kunst. Okay. They call him Brian G up there. I'm just going to call him Brian G. Brian looks like he's writing tweets for Ian Rappaport, okay? Ian Rappaport's like, oh, well, two years ago when Jordan Love, they were trying to draft somebody else. He basically said something to the effect. He made some sort of excuse, uh, say, we would have done this. Like, when there were other receivers on the board you could have took. I mean, like, you you weren't handcuffed and had to take Jordan Love. It's the same thing this year with... um, a leak coming out that hey they wanted to get they wanted to snag Tony your guy right you know hey we wanted him sorry I mean sorry Aaron sorry Packers fans uh we tried like that shit doesn't work and there's leaks coming from GMs in the front office as well I mean everything's posturing now in the NFL but if everybody's flying out to see Aaron this offseason like was one draft pick going to tip the scales Oh, a receiver, I'm back. That leads me to my next question, which is, is he justified, right? Like, do you think he's justified in being pissed off? People bring up the first rounders. All I'm saying is if you have Aaron Rodgers and an offense that's been clicking for the better part of, who knows, 13 years at this point, I mean, they're winning double-digit games, double-digit games a season, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine times since 2008. I, I mean, in part because they're adding talent to the defense. I understand weapons, etc. But they're improving the football team with these draft picks for the most part, in most cases. 
So, yeah, I understand it's a bad look drafting defense and a backup quarterback, but I also think the the proof is in the pudding. I don't necessarily think that they have more Super Bowls if they're spending a first-rounder on a, on a wide receiver here or there. Maybe so, but it's not like they're saying, hey, ah, no thanks, we're not going to pick a player here. They're, they're trying to make the team better, and they know they have a Hall of Fame quarterback anchoring the offense. I think this is a really multifaceted discussion, multidimensional, whatever the best word would be. I mean, there are so many layers to this. I think part of like the, the current-day issue for the Packers is bled into by you know everything that's happened running up to here and has magnified you know perceived slights you know like your point is a good one okay they've been pretty freaking good and they've scored a lot of points they scored a lot of points last year in fact like i've been the one harping on their defense so i'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth but i do think there is an element here that people are missing and i think the 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 background that you have to lay is this Aaron Rodgers, community college guy, right? Cal guy, okay? Not That's no like powerhouse football spot, although I almost transferred there. Jeff Tedford in the days of Jeff Tedford. Did you ever know that? You knew that. I did not know that. Yeah, 3-4 defense one year under Al Groh. He was kicking my ass. I'm glad I stuck around. But he was a Cal guy. We all remember the slide, okay? You talk about the other day, I said, don't give the NFL like free B-roll, depending on who you are, because they're going to play it in many cases, long after you're in the league. And they'd still be playing it, whether or not Aaron was in the league. Aaron Rodgers sat for an eternity in that ugly suit. Soul um, patch. Yeah, the soul patch, you know, it was a different look. He sat forever. Um, and then when he gets to Green Bay, he's got, you know, Brett Favre to deal with, um, who was kind of an asshole to him. And then the backdrop of this Jordan Love thing, which ultimately ripped the Band-Aid off, is from 2012 to 2021, they didn't draft a single wide receiver or a single running back in the first round. So this is one of those things that's like, in a vacuum, this situation is not a big deal. But it's a big deal to Aaron Rodgers because he's dealt with this shit his whole life, his whole football life. He doesn't give a fuck that everybody's like, just be happy, like that. that's not the way it works. Football players are insecure, okay? Great athletes are insecure just like everybody else. Some are much more insecure. I think Aaron Rodgers is, is somewhat insecure and that's normal. I think insecurity can breed greatness. You have to be insecure to be great. You have to be afraid of failure. You have to be afraid of the next man taking your job. You have to be protective of yourself, of your career. That's the way he's been trained to be his entire life through football and football has reinforced that. And so like, listen, insecurity is normal, but when you mix bitterness with insecurity, that's what we have now. And if the question is, should Aaron Rodgers be bitter? Yes, I do think he should be bitter. I do think he should be bitter about all of those things I just listed. And because, you know, when, when you have insecurity, which is a staple of being a football player, and it's been reinforced by like, the never as secure as it might feel from the outside situation that he's had in Green Bay, and you mix that with, with, uh, with bitterness, which has been calloused over time with him, you're gonna have a guy that just doesn't give a fuck and wants to and wants what he wants. And I think that's the the problem that the Packers have created for themselves. I really do. I think the Packers have created this problem. And to your point about, yeah, adding one more receiver, this, that, and the third, like I get the fact 
that the defense is actually the squeaky wheel and they were really good offensively. I also think that Aaron Rodgers, and you could say, well, he's got plenty of good players on offense. I don't know who any of those guys are south of Devontae Adams. But you and I both know when you play with Aaron Rodgers and you play with an offense like that, everybody's better. Everybody's better. You know, so I think that he can be a little bit of a victim of his own greatness where he makes people better and then people are sitting around saying, you got plenty of good players. Maybe you don't feel the strain he feels. You know what I mean? And additionally, when your defense has repeatedly been inconsistent, you get used to, I got to do this shit myself. So yeah, I need more. And the point is, you know, you talk about this trade. If he gets dealt, you could say, well, hell, if he ends up in Denver and they got to give up two firsts the next two years, what's the point? Because they don't even have the picks to secure the type of player he's been waiting to be secured in Green Bay. Right? So like from a, from a certain angle, a trade makes no sense, you know? if you're thinking for Aaron Rodgers. But it does if you just want to be valued, if you just want to be wanted. And I think this is what this thing's about. As much as the firepower on the field, it's just show me that you actually give a fuck about me and, and, and appreciate me for all I've done for this franchise. Listen, he's won one Super Bowl, just like, like Brett Favre. I know he wants that second. I think he wants it in Green Bay. Bart Starr played 16 years in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, how many years did he play in Green Bay? 16. These things are very important to him, I think. And I think the, the time, like a lot of people say, oh, I got a Super Bowl in my pocket, I'm playing with house money. He's not happy. He's not satisfied. And I think that's the type of guy you want. Just do something for him to let him know that you care about him. And also, know your personnel. I'm gonna ask Bruce Arians about this in a little bit. You know, Tom Brady gets a warning about possibly Kyle Trask. Not that it's a big deal to him. Kellen Mond, Kirk Cousins, goes on and on. I said this with Carson Wentz. Know the personality of your personnel like you know their skill sets. And I think that if you, you know, like any average football fan knows that Aaron Rodgers is a icy motherfucker. He thrives on slights. Don't give him another slight from inside the building. And that's what they did with Jordan Love. And a lot of people are like, get over it. You're Aaron Rodgers. Terry Bradshaw, who is a buddy of mine, through my dad and I love Terry, I disagree with him. You know, uh, when you consider what he's done there, you're talking about a 37 year old who's slinging the ball around the best he's ever thrown it. The MVP. The MVP, dude. Everything I just talked about has calloused over for this guy. And I don't blame him. Yeah, the flip side, you go to a place like Denver, you have Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, okay. Your coach, and this is no disrespect, but your coach would be Vic Fangio versus a Matt LaFleur who seems to me like he's staying up all hours of the night. Thinking about offense. Thinking about points. Yeah. Points, points, points. How are we going to score more? And it's and it gets you to the NFC Championship game, and you're close. You're right there. And while maybe you don't get the token receiver or whoever you want, whoever's going to make you happier. And to your point, yeah, he's making Robert Tunyon Robert Tunyon. Yeah, people the other day were like, and no disrespect to Robert Tunyon, I think he's probably a really good player. But like, you know, people are like, he had Tunyon. I'm like, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. And like, yeah, it's an appreciation thing. This is a 16-year relationship. And I don't think he's ever for very long felt like, 
security. If a guy comes up in a circumstance where he has to look over his shoulder, he slid, you know, um, he had to scratch and claw for his food with Brett Favre there and he had to wait. That is part of his, like the formative years, like you think about a child, how a child grows up and like how that affects them in, into adulthood. Like his football childhood has been fucked up, dude. So you got a guy who, I don't blame him, looks out for number one, not in, a, not in like a way that he doesn't want to win or he puts himself over the, he wants to win that Super Bowl, man. And he wants to do whatever it takes to get there. And so I think, I think, it's, about, I think it's about feeling valued. And I do think, you know, you look at, all right, let's start with the deal. 2021, after this year, you know, it's essentially maneuverable for the Packers. So he wants some protection. That's something I think most quarterbacks would want in this situation. Quarterbacks of his caliber would want that in any situation. Okay, he's got three years left on his deal, but effectively after this year, it's maneuverable. When you add the fact that you got the team's leverage sitting in your room, that changes the game. So don't tell me quarterbacks don't re-up three years early. You know who read up three years early? D-Hop, last year, sight unseen in Arizona. Huge contract. I know you might be thinking, well, that's different. Yeah, you're right. It is different. He's not the franchise quarterback. He's not the second best quarterback of all time who's done his work in that very building. You make exceptions for your best players. You make except you don't cut your nose off to spite your face. And I'm not saying I know exactly what's going on behind closed doors there. But if you're Brian G and you have an opportunity to get a deal done, you get a deal done. You you don't you you don't say, well, and I hope this isn't a, a pride thing with him or with them. We're sticking to the plan, you know? We're sticking to the plan because you get confirmation bias because you made a pick. So you have to then say, well, I'm sticking to the fact that Aaron's going to fall off a cliff at 39. Project out how he's going to look at 43. Look at the ball come off his hand. So I, I, I really think that Aaron Rodgers, if you're projecting out, is going to help you into his 40s. And let's not get this lost in the sauce, Chris. Two offensive linemen and a receiver, a darn good one in Amari Rodgers, Drafted in rounds two through four. Yep. So yeah, first rounders. Okay, they're they're they have their own prime time Thursday night, but it's not like it's. Uh, hey, look at these seven defensive players we're taking every year. Yes. Amari Rogers is a, was a very good college wide receiver. Very good, very good. Got it. Okay, but I'm just saying. You're not thinking that. Equiminius St. Brown is thriving in other systems? Or? I just don't know. I just don't know, and I think that's the point. I think he's a little bit of a victim of his own success and greatness. And amidst all this, I mean, like, you know, ugly contract negotiations, wild leaks, this entire narrative, he's out there dressed like if Michael Scott was a magician mm. at the Kentucky Derby. He doesn't give a fuck. He's smiling. He's having a good time. Like, Aaron Rodgers is going to get what Aaron Rodgers wants one way or another. Now, the only thing is, though, that if you you talk this out to its logical end and the Packers just say, okay, you don't want to play here, don't play here. Sit out for a year. You'll be 37, 38 years old sitting around collecting dust. If there's anybody who can overcome that, it's him. But you know, I think the Packers have a little bit of leverage being like, you really going to pull a Carson Palmer? Like you really going to pull a Carson Palmer and run the risk of Jordan Love being serviceable? Maybe I've just missed it. 
I feel like we didn't see Jordan Love on the sidelines this past year. Didn't see him throwing a ball. That's didn't see him in practice. Isn't that weird? That is interesting. And maybe it's just because Aaron Rodgers is this larger-than-life figure and the camera's always tuned on him. I think they might have been just not trying to get Jordan Love killed because if the Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels panned over to him throwing a ball. Like you just never hear, you know who's looking really good in practice? That Jordan Love. Are you warming up, motherfucker? Right. Like... Hey, Jordan, Aaron, never want to see a ball in your hands on I the sideline. Like, literally. I'll give you three reps in practice, but I never want that to see a ball in it. your hands on game day. That might, might be it. So that's the question. You, if you're Denver, if you're, I'm looking at the odds here, Green Bay minus 150, Denver plus 200, Raiders plus 600, Panthers plus 1100, Dolphins, Washington, San Francisco still in the running according to Vegas for Aaron Rodgers. If you're any one of these teams, and I know they're not, not all the same, but like, do you make that trade? Uh, it's impossible to say, I think, without knowing the cost. I don't know if the cost matters. I think the big, the big question is like, are you actually going to be better than the Packers? Because the Packers came up short with the same brilliant quarterback. You know, like I think maybe one or two of those teams have better rosters like outside the quarterback. And actually, interestingly, Washington, I think, has arguably a pretty damn close roster. They're doing a really good job of building that roster. But again, Scott Turner, is that like, you know, you're talking about a dark horse in this group. Is that provocative to you? Denver would be provocative to me. I think they're, they've got a solid defense and they got skill guys that probably, you know, some of the parts might, might exceed what they have in, uh, in Green Bay. Now, Devontae Adams is like two guys in and of himself, but. You've got Noah Fant. You've got Jerry Judy. You've got uh, who else did you name over there? And Sutton, Sutton, Hamler. Who's been a, Hamler. I mean, you have invested in young talent there. And again, you make that trade, no more young talent. Two first round picks probably out the door. But it's the act. It's the intent. It's like, do you value me? And I really think when you get down to it, Aaron really wants to make it happen in Green Bay. You hear his friends talk about it. John Kuhn talked about it. The longtime fullback up there. Um, and it sounded like he was slanting it, and he's somebody who talks to Aaron a lot and wouldn't and wouldn't like you know reveal his cards completely. But he was like, I think he wants to stay there. You know, they just have to support him or give him some security because when you do draft a Jordan Love, that speeds the clock up when he's going to want a new deal. That's going to you know increase the importance of surrounding him with weapons. You've created a walk-on eggshell situation when the awkwardness is high. Look in the mirror, Packers, because you created this. At some point, Aaron's going to have to make a decision, but I don't blame him for being bitter. It also seems, though, that he's in the driver's seat. He can he can de-escalate at any point. Yeah. I mean, he, he has people speaking his mind, it seems. He's the puppet master. Is he the puppet master? Because Schefter just came out today and was like, whoops. Or do you think he told Schefter to backtrack on that? Come on, it's Adam Schefter, dude. It's not the first time he's gone rogue. Well, just like, I'm sure it's not Aaron himself, but Aaron's got people. Aaron's got people. You know who else has fucking people? Brian G. He's texting rap sheet, like, copy, paste this tweet. I wanted to go get a receiver. Like, okay, dude, you didn't. You know what I mean? So, anyways, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is good for the game. Aaron Rodgers is good for the game in Green Bay. Come on, guys. And that NFC title game, fourth quarter starts 28-23 Tampa in Green Bay. I mean, they could be the Super Bowl champs with a couple different bounces. Yeah, no doubt about it. 
And we're sitting here talking about draft picks. Talking about draft picks? Hmm. But I get it. The feelings are involved, and players have feelings, and players want to be fucking, they want, they want to be valued. Security in relationships would seem to be important to this cat. Is that fair? Yeah, probably. Like anybody. I like to know, are my relationships secure? That's why we slid a contract across your desk. Talk about wanting to be valued. I'd like to be valued, you know? You're getting valued, big boy. Uh, You're getting valued. I don't know if I can draft this receiver for you in the first. See, this is what I'm talking about. I'm with Aaron now. We're going to go to Denver. Well, let's go to uh, Philadelphia first to talk to Devontae Smith. All right, so full disclosure, again, to remind the people, Giants fan. Yep. Uh, but we have the best draft pick in the NFC East this year. Well. Shoot, would have been a giant had he your, could have been a giant. Had your been, eagles not jumped up. He could have been a giant. But I got Devontae Smith, Slim Reaper, whatever you want to call him. He's the next big thing in Philly, and I'm really excited. Devontae, how you doing? I'm good. Can't complain. Uh, you, you definitely can't complain. You're about to play football in the, in the best sports city in the country. First things first, Devontae. As I warned you before, we had the combine here. My co-host here, Macon, you want to tell him your height and weight and why he... He basically he thinks because you guys weigh the same that you might be comps, and I was wondering he wants to get where you are in life at 160 what pounds? 162. But look, I'm I'm tired of the skinny shaming myself. You and I are both very durable. Why does it matter how much we weigh? All right, six six four and a quarter over here. Yeah, quarter. One, 162. <laughs> my vert was 14 inches, and my 40 was 6.2. <laughs> Oh, man. What do you think, Devontae? What, what does he need to work on? 6.2. 6.2 seconds. Yep. Yeah, we for sure need to work on that. <laughs> I think it was the start. The start was the problem. There was a lot of waste and movement. Chris kept laughing every time I started. <laughs> I didn't know whether to be standing up or on the ground. How do we fix the vert, Devontae? 14 inches. When I saw it, I almost I gasped. I can't too much help you with that one. <laughs> All right, well, I've got, hey, you're probably, what, 4'3", four, 4'4", four, four. like I'm not that much slower. It's only I mean, two seconds. Two seconds. You know how quick two seconds is? Like, boom, that was two seconds right there. Yeah, dude. It's he gonna can look, just li- don't look bad, though. No, it's not going to look that bad. We'll line him up deep third, so that two seconds, he's got a two-second head start, and then he'll meet you at, like, the, the hash, like, 30 yards down the field. So what you're saying is there's a chance, Devontae, that he could be you one day. <laughs> with enough hard work i believe in you <laughs> thank you i'll i'll be a possession guy and you can run around the field scoring touchdowns all right so so let me ask you this the heisman's heavy right the trophy's really heavy yeah do you think he could he could hold the trophy up oh, without dropping now. it yeah he can do that thank you what did you think of that whole night man were you did you get an idea that you were gonna you were gonna win the whole thing or did you know not until the end like when do they tell you uh, it was at the end. I, I honestly didn't think I was going to win it. Who did you think was going to win it? Mac. Oh, okay. Yeah. You and Mac and Waddle had like a real connection, right? Because I know they, they asked, and I'm not trying to get you here, but they asked about, do you like catching balls from Mac or Tua? And I think some people were surprised when you guys answered that, like, you really like catching balls from Mac, and that's not a shot at Tua. Like, but there's something about, you know, working with Mac that you guys really liked. What was that about catching footballs from Mac Jones? It was really just the overall just connection that we had. I mean, like every day 
what it was the film room on the field getting like extra work in it was just like we had the connection so it was like it wasn't a time where like the connection wasn't there like everything always just flowed easily what happens when you guys connection breaks down like how, how do you guys get back on the same page did that ever happen when you guys would have a rough game and you and that great group of receivers would have to sit down and you and mac and work some things out how do you get back on the same page um, I would say it was probably like games where everybody just dropped eight. Um, I mean, it's tough to try to throw the ball when people are just dropping everywhere. So, um, it was really just getting to the sideline and just, just understanding that like, we just got to take what they're going to give us. They ain't going to let us get nothing deep. So just take on the stuff and let us just do what we do. So you would prefer most game plans to be like the Ohio state game plan? Um, I prefer a game plan. Just give me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was watching that Ohio state game and I'm thinking to myself, when are they going to make an adjustment? What are you thinking? Like before you get dinged in that game? <laughs> really? It was just like, they really just going to sit here and play a couple three, the whole game. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to try to change nothing. I was shocked. But like when I, when I hear about you, I hear about like one of your biggest strengths is you're kind of like a coach on the field. I was reading that a lot of the times you stood out even among a group of really good receivers and really smart players because you would start to diagnose things early in the game and bring that to the sideline. Do you feel like that's a strength in your game that, that you have over some guys? Uh, most definitely because it's, it's not nothing that you can show me that I haven't seen. So just when I go out there and I see something, it can be like right then I can be like, they're, they're calling the play right now. I can tell Coach Sartre like, they running this and then like he'll just change the play right then and we'll just go straight to it so it was just like just always being a step ahead to where like we ain't gotta wait to the next series to do it we can do it the next play because i know what's gonna happen where'd you get that from where do you think you got that from just studying the game i mean just, that's just the way i prepared the whole week just coming in sunday through thursday just watching film just every little thing that the defense is doing i'm i'm trying to catch all of it what does playing in philly mean to you man like you you've only been there i mean shoot you when you get drafted like it's a big change in geography and culture probably but like what does the philly culture mean to you from what you've heard and the people you've met there already um just like the fans i mean like that's the type of place you'll want to play with when you love football so uh, the fans are all into it it's a place where, I mean, they're die hard. They, they love football. I mean, when you, when you love football and the fans love football, that's just a place you want to be. Yeah. Oh, not bad going from, from Tuscaloosa to Philadelphia. I mean, in all seriousness, it's two pretty damn good places to have football fans and that sort of thing. But I think I think one of the things, that, and, and I don't know you, but I watch you and, like, I, I you know, you can kind of tell, you know how it is, you play with guys and, you get good reads on people. My read on you is you outwork everybody. And I think that's that's going to be just such a great quality for a Philly athlete. And you're going to have success on the field. But I think they're always going to love your blue-collar attitude. And I'm wondering where you got that from, you know? Um, where did that start for you? Um, I would say that that's been my whole life. I mean, I've always been the type of person to go out there and, and grind everything out. But, I mean, like, I truly believe, like, the stuff you do in practice don't translate to the game. So, I mean, I go into practice every day just trying to be the hardest working person on the team, just knowing that if I get it done in practice, it's going to translate to the game. And practice is harder than the game, honestly, because at practice, they pretty much know everything you're going to do. Everything is kind of kind of scripted. So it's like they play in the perfect coverage. 
Well, that's how it was at Alabama. They right. played the perfect coverage at, at practice. So it was like, if you can beat the perfect perfect coverage, then I mean, like in a game, it's going to be easy. People talk about your durability. People talk about you being, you know, um, lighter. And then, but people also acknowledge that you do work every day like it's game day. So, like, where's the durability issue? You know, if you're out there playing five, six games a week competitively and you don't break down, I don't see the problem. And, and I guess I wonder, I was looking, I was listening to your barber, your mentor. I was listening to you guys talking on that nice thing the Eagles did on draft night. He was talking about seven on seven camps. When we were in 2003 and 2004, like the, the, the landscape of how you got recruited and how you got your looks was so different, you know, and the camps weren't the same. And I heard him talking about you guys would go to camps and sleep in the car, like that type of thing. Just how competitive are those camps and how hard is it to get looks when you're from somewhere like you're from in rural Louisiana? You know what I mean? I mean, like you said, it's it's small where I'm from. Like, not coaches are not coming there without you coming to like camps and things. Like, like camps are the new way to get recruited nowadays. Like, if you don't go to camps, unless it's somebody on your team that's going to camps and they're bringing the scouts to the games, you're not really going to get the recognition you want. So, him just doing that, it was just like this is what we got to start at. And then it's like once they start coming to the games they going to see, like, you're going to perform, you're going to do what you do, same way that you go to camps and do what you do. You just perform, everything else is going to take care of itself. And I mean, like, the weight problem has always been that, but just my main thing was I'm going to just keep working to where, like, you, you're you going to have to offer me. You're not just going to sit here and just be like, all right, I ain't finna, he's too small. It's going to be like, all right, he come, he work, he grinding, he beating the best of the best, like, I got to offer him. Um, that's kind of how it was at Alabama. I mean, at first I didn't know, I didn't get to off at first because of my size, but I mean, like every Alabama camp, I was there, I always come back. And it was just like, he keep coming back. He keep beating the best. It's just like, they had no choice but to offer me then. So what goes into picking Alabama? Is it, is it winning? Is it the best coaching? Because you're going into a room where there's Judy, Ruggs, Waddle, I mean, there's a scenario where a lot of good, really good players don't see the field at Alabama. Was was that challenge part of the draw for you? Um, I kind of always knew I wanted to go to Alabama just just because how it is around here is kind of like how it is at home. It's not it's not much to do, but if you need to do something, you want to do something, you can. And um, honestly, like none of us knew we was going there. Like I knew Judy a little bit from camps, but I didn't really know him. I knew Ruggs a little bit, but I didn't really know him. So it was like none of us knew we were going there. So it was just like when we all got there, it's just like we all had the mindset of like we all happy for each other. But at the end of the day, it's business too. So like I'm going to do what I have to do to get on the field. But I'm supporting them too just because they're my teammates. They're the people that I'm going to wall with every day. But at the end of the day, it's like we all knew like we're going to put our head down and grind. But we all gonna be happy for each other. We, each other too. We're not gonna be selfish with it. We're gonna help each other out to be the best version of us. But then again, like we gonna grind. It's gonna be days where you trying to get a rep, and it's gonna be like, nah, I need that rep. Like it was plenty of days like that. Like want to be in, I'd be like, nah, man, I, I need this for him. And we'll be sitting out there just arguing about the rep. But it's just all of us were just trying to get better. It's an interesting thing in a position group when you when you're in a really good group and. You want everybody to succeed, but competitors want themselves to su- succeed first. 
that's the reality of being like, you walk a thin line between being selfish and being selfless. Cause you wanna be a great teammate, but you wanna take care of number one and you wanna win and you wanna beat your teammate. You know, especially when it's time to compete in training camp and stuff. So I wonder how much, much each other y'all knew at those camps. Did you guys track each other going into Bama? I would say me and Judy, like, well, we really like realized like who each other was was from a Miami camp. I mean, we went out there and we we really just killed everybody. Like the whole camp, we were just killing people. And it was just like we we was happy. We was like enjoying it. And that's when we really got to know each other. And then like once I remember I hit him up and I was like, um, I thought he was gonna go to Florida. I was like, bro, you going to Florida? He was like, man, I don't know. And then it was just like he ended up signing. I th- he was um early enrolled, so like he was there. So I was at the spring game, and I was just watching, and I was just like, like he he that dude, like yeah. he, he legit. Yeah. So then come my signing day, I was like, man, look, I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna roll with it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with it. And then I seen Rugs had signed, and then it was just like, I ain't backing down from the competition. I'm I'm gonna go. You yeah. know what I mean, like. <laughs> Playing time gonna come. Whoever gonna work the hardest is gonna work out for whoever's supposed to. Is there a story you have in your head somewhere about like the most competitive, something that illustrates how competitive these camps were? Because when I think about it, like I never had to deal with that. Like, you know, like I I got looks and you know my dad played, so you know I, I did get the looks and and I played at a at a school that's you know we we live in a small town, but it's not I'm not in the middle of Louisiana. Like I just can't imagine the desperation that some guys are feeling like when your barber said sleeping in cars and shit, like, I don't think about that, you know, like there's no hotel rooms for a lot of these kids. People are coming from all over the place. What's the craziest story you heard about just how desperate it can be at these camps? I would say probably when I went to Georgia, coach Pruitt was there and um, he didn't want me to run with like the top group. So like my mentor was just sitting there the whole time. And he was like, coach, I'm telling you, he going to kill whoever you put in front of him. And he was like, nah, nah, I'm not worried about him. And then, like, I snuck in a line one time. And then it was, like, first play, go route. I just beat the dude. It was too easy. And then um, I ran down there and gave my mentor the ball. And then he shouted. He was like, Coach Pruitt, I told you. <laughs> and then, like, I just, kept, I just kept going back and just kept killing it. It was just, like, that's just how it was. Like, when you going to sit up there and doubt me, like, now nah, I'm going to do whatever I have to do just to show you now. Like, you can sit up there and try to make me go to the other field. I'm going to find my way back in this line. Who's next, man? Because I know Mechie's coming up next year, um, and you guys are just going to continue this great tradition of uh, wideouts. But who's a guy that we're not thinking about? It's going to be the next Bama guy. I'll probably say Javon Baker. I mean, like he sits there and he he watches what everybody does, and he just like he he soaks it all in. Yeah, but like he understood that like some people when they when they see like they're behind me, Rose. Judy, Wadham, they like, I can sit up here and I can relax because, like, I know I ain't finna play because I'm behind them. But, like, he pushed me every day just because, like, he wanted to be in that spot. But being realistically, it was like, you behind the workhorse. Like, I ain't finna sit up here and let you take my job. Like, you gonna have to, (laughs) you gonna have to be working to try to take my job. Yeah. So, like, but he kept me up, like, he kept pushing me just because, like, I knew he was right there. I knew that he was watching me. So it was just like, I know he watching me, so I always got to be doing the right thing. And smart young players learn from other people's mistakes and successes. They don't, because they, if you wait, if you wait to learn on your own, you don't have time. 
you don't have a window like this, especially in college. So, um, okay, Slim Reaper, which I think is a terrific nickname. But is it not Kevin Durant? Okay, that's what I'm. That's what I'm asking. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna say, have him and Katie worked this out yet? Um, <laughs> no. But I mean, I've I've been trying to get in touch with him about it, but let's, I haven't heard that back. Let's yet. make that happen, man. All right. So, who gave you the nickname Slim Reaper? I, I honestly don't know. Um, it was a game, and just I, it was after one touchdown, somebody on the sideline just said it. And I was like. What? Now, don't be one of these guys that gives yourself a nickname. You know you can't be giving yourself a nickname. He's got this story in his backpack. I don't know one time, this guy on the sideline, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, it happened like that. Okay, then, good. Um, hey, uh, number six in Tuscaloosa. Do we have a jersey number yet oh, for yeah. Philly? Six. Six okay, again. He's be six again. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty clean. Okay. And there's not a lot of competition there. So the Slim Reaper, obviously, another like you know skinny guy thing. Do you get tired of the comps, man? And the comps are great. Like, listen, Isaac Bruce is an all-time legend, bro. Like, you know, I just missed him in St. Louis. Got to play with Torrey Holt. Those guys are great dudes and amazing players. Marvin Harrison was another great one. Is there somebody that, like, you play like that people just weren't getting? I always watched Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams. Um, those just the guys that, like, I seen myself, like, doing the things that they do um, just from a route running, the attention to details and the routes, the releases, just all that. That's just what I see in myself. How do you get off press? Because that's one thing people always talk about is like, yes, but he's great against press. Like he knows how to get off press. So like who gives a fuck about his weight? But like what's the key to getting off press as a guy who might be outweighed by a, a bigger corner? Um, I was studying, I was studying your opponent. I mean, like you have to know what type of corner you're going against. Are you going against a corner that likes to get hands on or a corner that likes to be patient? So you really just got to know who you're going against. And then just when you watch film, just seeing what they're uncomfortable with. And once you find what they're uncomfortable with, you just keep them uncomfortable in the game. Don't never let them get comfortable. You know what? There's some crossover with D-line play too because of the hands, right? Like, you know, the, the some of the movements you guys do. And Malcolm Jenkins used to always come over to the D-line individual period and spend like 15, 20 minutes, and he's a safety, but he's working on handwork. Go over there with Fletcher and those guys, man. They'll, they'll do some handwork with, you know, add some more tools to your toolbox. Not that you need it, but they'll, they'll accept you with open arms. Uh, who's the corner you're really looking forward to playing? Um, well, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, of course. I, um, I feel like he's one of the top corners in the league, so that's most definitely the matchup that I'm looking forward to, just somebody that, you you've been seeing on tv for a while and it's just like one day i just want to go up against him the best i mean yeah the, he's he's the guy yeah i kind of wish philly hadn't traded up at this point and then yeah because you're starting to really like Devontae Smith. yeah <laughs> and you already liked him but now you really yeah. wish he was a giant speaking okay. of right. draft night how does that work for you i mean you you see jamar chase go your buddy jalen waddle when philly trades up yeah. Are you tipped off to that? At what point do you know it's going to be your name called? Honestly, I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, after after Water went, it was kind of like, okay, what what a team's going to do now? Cause I knew some teams were like looking for the cornerbacks and things like that. Um, so I was just like, now nah, I just got to see like what teams are going to go with. But I mean, like with those two guys going um, ahead of me, I mean. I'm happy for him. I mean, Jamal, he's from Louisiana too. So just being two Louisiana guys, I mean, I'm happy for him to be able to be in the position that he's in. I mean, Water, we went to the same school. That's like my brother. So, I mean, happy for him too. But um, I wasn't too pressed about 
if I went first receiver off or whatever, because it's it's not about just like when you go, it's about what you do and when you go. So I mean, like where I get drafted, I wasn't too worried about it. I just I just needed the opportunity. So, but once um once Philly traded up, I was just like this this could possibly be it, but I don't know. But then like when I got the call, it was just like okay, they traded up for me. Like they see something they like. Like that, nobody's gonna trade up for you if they don't really want you. So it was just like they see something they like. I know that they really want me. So like now nah, I just I gotta return the favor. Was there a team that would like you felt like leading up that they might be the ones um that went a different direction? I thought Carolina was gonna probably draft me. Yeah. That's who I that's who I thought. I knew of course the Giants, but it was just all about you you gotta get to a living. Yeah. I knew for sure that if I was there at 11, I was going to go to the Giants. And tell Jabril Peppers, you're just not a smiling motherfucker, dude. I'm not a smiling <laughs> motherfucker. There <laughs> 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 you're smiling now. But, hey, listen, that's going to be a fun little, that's going to be a fun little, like the NFC East is back. It's coming back, dude. It's coming back. I want to talk about Nick Saban. Because, um, like, man, that guy intrigues me a lot. Um there was a quote I read the other day, which of course I was going to read to you and I didn't bring my homework. He said something to the effect of, I'm not all football. I feel like some people just think I'm just a football guy and that's not true. Is he telling the truth? He, he's really not all football. I mean, like golfing, of course. Yeah, that's what he, I was going to say. He, he, love, he loves golf. And, um, just, I heard he can, he can shoot a little bit in basketball. I ain't seen it myself, but I've heard... But um, no, nah, he's really not all football. I mean, like outside of football, he he's a he's a great person. I mean, life after football, he prepares you for stuff like that. So he doesn't just get you in. It's just strictly football. I mean, he prepares you for everything. Who's the guy who like when you guys are about to win a national championship and you're doing the Gatorade thing, which you guys have gotten good at? What goes in that conversation? Like, because <laughs> he's not he's legit not real happy when he gets to with Gatorade, is he? Um, I don't know. I'm never in that conversation. I'm sitting there like I'm not going to carry no Gatorade. <laughs> how how tall a fellow is Nick Saban? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. If he can get shots up, I mean, that's one thing, but. He, he, he's not tall. He's not tall at all. <laughs> Everybody protects their Everybody protects their the height. Coaches, yeah. yeah, but you know, if you got all those natties, you're 10 feet tall, dude. Right. Like you're 10 feet tall in Alabama. What do you think his biggest pet peeves are? that people might not know about, like, as a player? Because if you know one thing about your coach, you know what pisses them off. I would say just not being disciplined, just, like, the small stuff like that. Like, if you're not disciplined, like, he's going to be on you. He's going to do everything. Like, he'll, he'll do stuff just to test out if you're disciplined or not. Yeah. But, like, that's that's just him. Like, that's – I think that's the majority of coaches. Like, they won't discipline people. I mean, like, if you're not disciplined, then, like, things are not going to work out the way that you want it to work out. What was the biggest test he ever gave you? I would probably say after the AM game, I um I threw a punch and then it was like we had a we had a meeting and he was like, I think you have anger problems. And I was, <laughs> I was, and I was just sitting there like, man, you can't be serious. I'm like, you you take me right now. I know you're not serious right now. Oh. And then he had me meet with um with Dr. Rosen, and I was just sitting there. And that man Doc was talking, and Doc was like, "Yeah, I know that's not you." And I was like, "Yeah, I know you just test me. Ain't no way." I mean, the angriest I've ever seen you is when you couldn't come back in the game in the national championship. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say I was angry. I think it was just more of like 
my last play, all I can think about is like my last play, I dropped a pass. That's crazy. I didn't even think about it like that. You really wish you played for the Giants, man. How He's about, okay, because you went for almost like, I mean, you went for a buck or a couple bucks there that, that night, but you went for almost three bills uh, against, was it LSU a couple years ago in the first half? And I guess Jerry Judy, was it before the game or who tweeted at you that said, I need 300? Oh yeah, it was Judy. So Judy tweets at you, I need 300. Are you out there trying to get 300 or are you just trying to get 300 every game? And uh, what do you think happens? Like in that second half, if you actually went out there and tried to get as many yards as you could have, how many yards could you end up with? Um, I mean, every game I come into the game, like every time I touch the ball, I'm trying to scope. So I mean, like, <laughs> I look at it like, like we talked before games, we had got like a little group message going on. So we talked and we just be sitting there. I just be like, man, I'm finna do this today. I'm finna do that. And, like, everybody just be talking about what they gonna do. I mean, that's just how it is. It's game day. You're excited. Like, but, um, I mean, if I would have finished the game just the way that we was locked in, the way that we was just sitting there, everything was just going the way we wanted. I mean, ain't no telling what would happen. It's it's crazy. I honestly think I, I know for sure I probably would have went for 300. Oh, but, um, no question. I don't know. Just the way everything was going, like, it was gonna be something crazy. Who's the biggest asshole in the group chat? Because like you just brought up the receiver group chat. Like D-line group chats are just brutal. Like we just, we're so mean to each other. Who's the biggest asshole in your group chat? Um, We all kind of assholes. It's the only way to be. It, just depends, it depends on what the, what, the, what the conversation is, but we all assholes. Last question. You, you brought up Nick's shot. Out of all the receivers, who's the best athlete outside of football? Who's the best athlete off the field and me for sure okay i like that <laughs> hey burrow chase Tua waddle jalen hurts Devonte smith who's the best tandem yeah <laughs> me and jalen Who, who's, the, th- who's the third best he's gotta go he's gotta go Devonte smith uh newest eagle oh man i can't wait to watch you play dude they're gonna love you they're gonna love you keep it up and uh i'll see you up in philly man appreciate it all right scale of one to ten how bad do you wish Devonte smith was a giant maybe a 10 yeah <laughs> he's such a, he's, i'm telling you what man that kid seems awesome but dude I mean, that's why interviews and getting to know players are so important and such an important part of the process. We'll take him. After talking to him? <laughs> we'll take him. Holy smokes, yeah. I don't care what the cost is. Give me Devontae Smith. And I love the fact that uh, that you get to talk to your comp. Yeah, that felt good. Although, you Google a Devontae Smith, it's now saying like 175. Like, did the... Did getting picked add 10 pounds? Maybe. I, I felt like money. we were... 10 pounds of money. Yeah. Just 10 pounds of cash. So, um, by the way, we're going to bulk you up. Yeah, that's the idea. So, 180 in December. I'm not giving myself like a New Year's kind of deal. You want to just in go December, a month early. I want to be 180 okay. in the month of December. Okay. But uh, but uh, Spelt? Uh, yeah. No, but a solid. 162, I'd like to be 180. We uh we met yesterday in the gym. You and I met at a gym. Yeah. And what did we come up with? Pop quiz hot shot. Well, 
let me just start by saying, Coach, well done by you Thank giving you. me two weeks of homework on my own. Thank you. Because after day one, I, I needed I needed to build this base. Now the base is quite simple: hundred push-ups in ten sets of ten, followed by what I previously called a plank, and now I call a bridge. All right. All right. And then I give myself a little break by doing uh, glute thrusts of some sort. Yeah, you do glute thrusts. I got a question about the glute thrust. Yeah. Because I've completed a cycle as of this morning. <laughs> yeah. I was feeling it more in my quad and then a little in my hamstring, not so much in the glute itself. Well, I don't know that you have a glute yet. Fair. So you have to, you got to find that thing. Okay. Those two things there. And I, I don't know how you're going to get that, but. So as a guy who historically has done 100 push-ups in a sitting, yeah. this was taxing. Yeah, dude, you're back. I have a question for that you. Room, yeah. You said 30 seconds of that bridge. I noticed when you were doing them yesterday and, and showing me what to do, you didn't have a timer. Is I just that, count in my head or kind of do it until I'm fried a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, see, I was 30 seconds on the nose every time, just the sort of guy I am. Well, if you keep it up for the next two weeks, you might be somewhere. I did have to break it up into, into twos. Two sets of 15 seconds. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, 50, you yeah. know, yeah. and then 50. Mm. One pre-oatmeal nanners and blueberries and one post Your oatmeal. meals look better, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No problem. I'm eating bigger meals. I'm eating better things. So I, uh, while I feel a bit full in the face today, I do think we're on the right track. Well, I think the good news is, and we got Bruce Arians coming up, um, maybe we can find you like a roll in tampa well if i'm six three sorry yeah if i'm six three 180 i don't know quarterback blaine gabbert i'm better than does blaine gabbert look like if jake tapper and drew bledsoe had a baby yeah i think that's about right i don't have blaine gabbert like at the front of my mind but i didn't either but there's right. a picture here hold on i want to show you he reminds me of drew bledsoe jake tapper yeah yeah, there's a little Jake the Snake in there too. Just a plumber. Hint. Yeah, you think a little bit. Hey, Blaine Gabbard has good lettuce. Oh yeah, great lettuce. Let me see the line. Guys, don't people don't give him enough credit. He could be hiding the line a little bit there. No, nah, yeah, dog. he's got solid. great lettuce. Great lettuce. Solid. Great. Yeah. Shout out. Let's talk to Bruce Arians. We've got Super Bowl winning head coach Bruce Arians on the line. The champ. The champ. Uh, he's a hokey, but it's okay. Yeah, maybe maybe my top hokey. Top hokey. Okay, there you go. Coach, what's that's, up, man? That's a hell of a compliment right there, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bud Foster a lot, not to start this thing off on the wrong foot as well, but I, I think Bud and Bruce Bud's, are my top two. Bud's a great dude, man. Hell of a coach. Great dude. <laughs> Making skin is crawling. Well, I associate Bud with a lot of UVA losses. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, not so much. I yeah, think yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. Tampa Bay Bucks it, more so with Bruce. It softens it a little bit. Yeah. But nonetheless, he's a couple months off of a Super Bowl championship. And Coach, congratulations. We had you on last summer, which feels like a world away. Um, yeah. I know it probably does with a long year. But you think back to that game, when do you know it's over? <laughs> not until Devin's interception at the end. Yeah, Dude, you know, Mahomes can score 20 points so fast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when we finally got that last pick, it was like, okay, it's over. It's over now. 
I guess I wonder what for you, as you look back at your game plan, your week of prep was different about that game that you didn't expect positively or negatively. I, I guess the worst thing, Chris, was we're out on our practice field looking across at the stadium we're going to play in. Yeah. And are hanging all the Super Bowl banners and stuff. Um, even what was really weird, we're getting ready to play the Packers. And they're hanging all the Super Bowl stuff and they're working on the stadium. I'm saying, guys, don't look across the street. We ain't mm-hmm. in that game. Mm-hmm. All right. If you think about that, we'll get our ass beat. So that 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 total different week of preparation, having no media, you know, the media row and all the, the, the things that go with Super Bowl week. You know, we had about nine guys in a tent every day. And that was it. You know, everybody thinks about Tom. Everybody thinks about you as far as like the leaders of that team, obviously the head coach and Hall of Fame quarterback. Who are the guys that didn't get enough credit as far as being leaders leading up to that game? No, I think you could take a bunch of guys off defense, you know, starting yeah. with Levante David, the Domkins Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, um, even our young rookie, Antoine Winfield, you know. Offensively, you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. We're blessed with so many guys that, that really care about each other and don't have an agenda, you know, other than winning. And uh, I think that's what led to getting all these guys back. So you win, you come off the field, which probably feels like an hour or two later. Did you feel a release or, or a sense of accomplishment? Which one? Because it was totally relief, you know. We we finally did it, and uh, you know, you, you start the accomplishment thing is there's so many people involved, you know. This coaching staff I have is unbelievable. The players we have, the commitment they made to each other to beat the virus. And uh, so, yeah, that, the accomplishment part, I no, it was just, hey, we did it as a family. You know, I, I moved my daughter in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. I moved her 12th grade year, you know. So the, the things you, you go through as a coaching family, people don't realize. And it's always getting fired around Christmas. Right. So, like, my daughter, she was in Starkville, then New Orleans, then Tuscaloosa. And I, I left to go to India. She stayed in Tuscaloosa to graduate. So, you know, those moments – you, they all come together uh, when you have that hug after the Super Bowl. So which move went over the worst for y'all in the Arians family? Oh, man. Probably the first one. <laughs> you know, the first one. You know, I thought we'd be at Virginia Tech forever. I played there, started coaching there. You know, I thought Jimmy Sharp was the best coach. Still think he's one of the best I've ever known. You know, getting fired at your alma mater is hard. Not knowing if I'm going into bar business or going to go into coaching business. Because you know, I bartended my whole time at college. And uh, so it was like, mm. you know, Coach Sharp goes to Mississippi State and I go down there and, and, and take a job and we, we load up a youth hall and, and start driving to Mississippi. Could have been a bartender. <laughs> yeah, really close to it, brother. <laughs> really close. That's not the worst gig in the world. It was also a very social job uh, as well. This tattoo, man. Okay, so... I haven't seen it in a couple months because it made a bunch of headlines. I'm not going to ask you to show us on the pod, but where's the tat? Is it like on your arm? Is it rib cage? What I, are you doing? Shoulder. My left shoulder. I I, uh, I left just enough room to put one on my right shoulder this year. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Well, that answers a question I have later, which is how are we approaching 2021 from a mentality standpoint? But did that shit hurt, coach? No, not at all. That's what I'm talking no, about. Had a, had a great artist, man. He was awesome. And uh, two and a half hours, it was easy. Two and a half hours sit. Yeah. And now they tell you when you sit down for a tattoo, don't be drinking the night before and definitely don't come in with uh, with a buzz because it thins your blood and you're going to be a bleeder. 
Was that something you had to be warned of in the in the aftermath of that Super Bowl? They, they didn't waste their time, brother. They did not waste their time. Just get a napkin and keep wiping the blood up. Sure. I also think Florida is a big impulse tattoo state. Not that yours was impulse, but like they're used to just you know getting the getting the needle out and rolling. So now silversmiths yeah. all over the world were yeah. up in arms with the with the Tom Brady toss of the Lombardi. But you recently came out and said. Hey, I'm the first thrower. I threw it to Brady's boat. Would you like to confirm that report that came from your mouth? Yeah, I would not. I really wouldn't consider it a throw. It, it was more of a wishbone pitch. Okay. You know? Like we didn't want to scratch his boat, so we couldn't do. We didn't get real, real close. We got a brand new, beautiful boat. So it was. It was more of a long handoff. See, okay. silversmiths are not going to be happy here because he's worried about the boat and not the Lombardi Trophy. You, you yeah. hear all those reports? They were pissed off at Tom. Yeah, man, get over it. Get over it. <laughs> hey, PSA. It's Tom Brady, Smith. bro. It's Tom Brady. It's, it's going to be complete. <laughs> was Brady the drunkest player at that thing, or or, or was there an unsung hero that, that got overshadowed? Uh, there were there were quite a few. Uh, a lot of coaches, too. But, yeah. uh, man, the boat parade was unbelievable. You know, I was in two, two Pittsburgh parades that were great. They had 2,500 boats coming down the river. I mean, until I saw the aerial view. Yeah. Then I said, holy shit, that was dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. We did have Coast Guard and everybody else out there, but it was it was amazing to have both sides of the river filled with people and all the people. That, if you had a boat, man, there are people on paddle boards out there yeah. in the middle of that stuff. So it was just an amazing parade. One of the biggest party animals I wanted to ask you about, my former teammate, guy that I know you probably love at this point, but like when he showed up, Gronk, I don't feel like you got him when he showed up. That was me reading the tea leaves. Like, I don't think you got Gronk. Is that true or false? As far as knowing how to how to handle him? Yeah, like, uh, like, did yeah. you, were, were you pushing for Gronk? Was Tom pushing for Gronk? I know you sign off on everything personnel-wise, but, yeah. like, it just felt like that, that didn't have your fingerprints on it initially, and you were probably, there was a little trepidation. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the dude's out of WWE, I mean, hadn't played in a year, and, and, uh, Tom swears he's ready to play and he's in great shape. So, hey, I'm all for it, brother. And, uh, you know, it's the best fourth-round pick we got. Yeah, dude. Pretty good fourth-round pick. And, like, a lot of the reason why I felt like late in the year you guys were able to morph into a team that a lot of Tom's DNA was was in the, in the Super Bowl. A lot of those throws he made to Gronk, they were just so vintage. And I feel like having that security blanket for him really helped. And then also having backs out of the backfield that can catch. I know you're probably really excited about, you know, pick up yeah, Geo next year. Talk mm-hmm. to me about how important it is to have a receiver come out of the backfield and be able to catch in that offense. Yeah, I mean, it's just huge. If you remember what David Johnson did for us in Arizona, uh, you know, because he, he was a wide receiver in college, then he turned into a big running back. Yeah. It's such a – if you can keep people in base defense – Say for us, 12 personnel is our deal. And you got a mismatch at running back who can go out wide, match up on safeties and linebackers. It's see, I go back to when Ronnie Harmon and Todd McNair and all those halfbacks were the mismatches on the field right. back in the late 80s and early 90s. Tight ends were you know, tight ends were tight ends. Yeah. Your back was your matchup. So um that that philosophy has always been part of what we do. And uh I'm really excited to get Geo in here. Yeah, he's a nice player, man. And the one thing I really wanted to ask you about, because we did a little, we got the Super Bowl talk off the top, um, because I know how coaches are, they want to move on. But I'm thinking about that game, and I'm thinking like, what a clean ball game you guys played, like, which is a testament 
for a team that was highly penalized a year before and that sort of thing is testament to you guys putting your heads together and saying like, we're gonna clean this stuff up. And through the year, cause it wasn't always pretty early on, you guys play a really clean Super Bowl. Kansas City's kind of all over the place and, and that happens, but I could not get the October 8th game out of my head the entire season. I thought the Bears game, yep. I was thinking to myself like, I'm trying to think for Tom and I'm trying to think for you and I'm thinking like this has to be like the seventh circle of hell. That one drive, I think before the half, there's like three penalties. Khalil Mack's breath is five. probably not great and it's in five Tom's I found it, yeah. I, you know the drive. Then. Oh, yeah, very well. So take me yeah. in the locker room there or like on the sideline, like where were you guys at mentality-wise as a team? And then also like how do you morph from that team to the team in the Super Bowl? Well, you know, one of the things we, we preach hard is bucks don't beat bucks. And for the first year, uh, we notoriously gave games away beating ourselves. Right. And I think you have to learn how to win. Uh, Tom – obviously brought that in and I love when he snapped out on the sideline and because um, he beat me to it then I didn't have to go as crazy as I'd normally do and uh, but after the game in the we weren't leaving that locker room until we made a fucking commitment that this shit's stopping all right and we went from the most penalized team to the least penalized team the rest of the year and it's just a commitment by the players you just had to stop it and uh, you know we can't have pre-snap penalties a post snap penalty might happen here or there, uh, but we cannot. Ha- we cannot. We have to stop beating ourselves in critical downs, and we did it. It was it was amazing effort by the players because we, we coach as coaches we beat it into them nonstop for a year and a half, and Tom was a big part of that. Oh yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, just as a player, it helps so much when you have another player that can do your job in, in moonlight as the the chew out guy. You know what I mean? Like no. it can't be you all day long because you know you lose the room and. I think yep. Tom is a huge tool, just not for what he does on the field, but obviously, and you know, you see some people that watch on TV and they're like, he's yelling at Ryan Jensen. What an asshole. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Ryan Jensen's okay with it. In fact, it's good for Ryan Jensen. You got to yeah. have a Ryan Jensen, but you also have to have a guy that, that reels him in and reigns him in. Yep. yep. Yeah. I love the way Ryan plays, man. Yeah. And you know, the, you know, he's one of those marked guys and you know, every referee crew comes up and they got somebody they're marked mm-hmm. and, uh, whether it be a guy that refs the passer all the time or takes a shot here or there, you know, Sue was that way for a long time. But, and I always tell the refs, Hey dude, he's going to play to the whistle. If he does some extracurricular warn him or found him or, or, or penalize him, but he's going to play to the whistle. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And whether you, if you don't like finishing people off, then you shouldn't be in the business. But I thought the giants went on the road was extremely gutsy when Mike caught that ball in the corner of the end zone that key touchdown at the end of that Giants game. I thought that was like a big moment for you guys. It felt like this is a gutsy road win where our assholes were probably tight the entirety of the game. And you've got a connection between two players who everybody thinks there's some rift between or they don't get each other. And I was like, okay, now we're rolling. But there's the skid and then there's the bye week, which came at a perfect time. Where was the actual turning point? Yeah, I think... The second half, really the second quarter of the Kansas City game, the first Kansas City game, mm. you know, we spot them 17 points and, and they go off. But then for second, third, and fourth quarters, if we get that ball back, we win that game. Yeah. You know, but Pat ran around and got a couple of first downs and ran out the clock. Uh, but we felt extremely confident. All right. So we, we lose the Rams by three, lose the Chiefs by three. 
forget the Saints game. That was a, that's one of those you just burn it. So then it's like, all right, go to open day week thirteen, dude. Between protocols of COVID and the season, everybody's worn out mentally. Mm-hmm. It's a grind, and uh, so it's like, hey, take the whole week off. I don't even want to see you. Right, we're not practicing. We're not meeting. We'll come back uh, Monday, and and we'll talk about it. And we came back, and that's when I put up the playoff scenarios. And here's where we are. All right, you want you want to get in the playoffs? You're in the playoffs because we play the Vikings. They're right behind us. If we lose to the Vikings, we're probably not getting in. Right. All right. So we, I just kept putting it up there every week where we stood. You know, we ended up as the fifth seed going into the last game of the year. Say, hey, we want to be the top seed that didn't win our division. And uh, so it's just a matter of getting focused for the playoffs. So when the playoffs started, and it was so different with no fans in the stand. You know, to go on the road was it wasn't that hard, and uh, but yeah, that, that they there was a refocused and a re amount of energy, mental energy after the uh, after the bye week. You get to eleven and five, you make the playoffs, and then in the middle of that game, you go punt, fumble, field goal. All of a sudden, it's eighteen sixteen, and a mm. guy named Taylor Heineke. <laughs> I mean, are scary. you thinking we have worked so hard? And this kid, I mean, Alex Smith had played the week no before. No disrespect Taylor Heineke, who's a nice 17. player. Also Virginia kid, ODU. That's right. But does it just feel like, uh-oh, this is one of those games where it's it, there's only so much you can do. It's it's the Washington football team. <laughs> We're on the road. It's late at night, and it's Taylor Heineke. I mean, had, uh, how do you prep like how do you prep for a guy like that where there is very little tape on him? Yeah, that, that part is hard because we really thought Alex was going to play. And, and we were more geared to what Alex could do and didn't know how much Taylor could scramble. Yeah. And uh, so, but I, there was never, a, on the sideline, it was very calm. You know, we were blocking that front extremely well. And with our O-line playing that good, I knew we were going to score enough points to win the game. It's just sooner or later, defensively, we're going to figure this out. And, and we did late in the fourth quarter. Well, that's interesting you said that, like you brought it up, because I thought that was one of the – things like when you talk about Gronk and people were like well he hasn't been the same guy the numbers I'm like he's still blocking his ass off <laughs> and one of the premier games that if you just wanted to watch people up front get after a really good front that was the game I mean and it wasn't just that like well I think Tom's really smart about picking his spots when he's gonna you know take four seconds to to find a route that type of thing and he can be frustrating to play against but I, I figured snap to release had to be quick the way the way they weren't getting there but actually tom tom was was going through his progressions and you guys blocked their their asses up front so talk about like yeah. how you get a team ready to block a front like that mentality wise it starts with the running game yeah. you know we had we knew going in we had to run the football and then maximize some play action where we use you know eight man seven man protections because we didn't feel like they could cover us if if we if we were able to protect and so we, we incorporated a little more seven-man protection in that game. Like I said, Gronk, you said Gronk blocked his ass off, uh, as did the whole offensive line. Donovan Smith was by far his best game and really accepted the challenge. And, uh, you know, you've been in that you've been in that team meeting room, and if coach calls your name out and says, you're wearing the hat this week, yeah, all right, you're going to get prepared to play your best shit. And, uh, and he did. I was going to ask you, what do you think is tougher, you know, since we're in the playoffs here? You, you've lost to a team twice in the Saints. You got to play them again. You beat them, and you've 
beaten a team handily who's a very good football team and you know it and you play them again and you beat them handily again in the Packers what's the tougher task for a head coach uh, I think for us with New Orleans you know, I, I, I thought going in whoever won that game was going to win it all yeah and because uh, New Orleans is a really good football team but we had a ton of confidence um, defensively especially going in that that we could squeeze those guys and um, you know it was it was a I thought a great Game plan by Todd Bowles, executed to perfection. But getting Devin White back, he missed that Washington game. That was the only COVID guy we had. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he went to visit his horse. He loves those horses. <laughs> and he got COVID. And uh, so he he didn't have any symptoms. But, man, he was he was ready to rock and roll mm-hmm. uh, when we got down to New Orleans and it's his hometown area and all that stuff. So he he brought an energy that that we hadn't had in Washington. We didn't have in Washington. So uh, that that was a big part of it. But uh, you know, getting those turnovers early, setting the, setting the offense up. Uh, but the biggest play of the whole playoffs was Antoine Winfield stripping Cook of the ball. Yeah, because they got a three point lead. They're going down. They might even had a six point lead. They're going down again. He knocks that ball out, and the whole thing changes. Yeah, is it actually difficult to beat a team? three times in a season. Is that like and, a myth? And if so, why? Because it sounds like just one of these dumb sports things we say. We say, but it's, yeah. Is it? yeah. Would you rather be 0-2 against the New Orleans team in the playoffs, or would you rather have the confidence that we've we've done this twice before? Yeah, I, I would rather have the confidence, but yeah. I, I don't want to be overconfident. Yeah. You yeah. know, and uh, sometimes uh, you, can, you can say, oh, we got these guys. And, you know, I, I think – that's that's the worst thing to have rather than as long as you're not going in our third time but we can't beat these guys you know um just point out how we beat ourselves and uh that that the one game was the first game of the year and we didn't even know what the hell we were doing yeah offensively yet the the other game was just a shit the bed game so it's like they haven't really played us yet so let's go play them and uh you know, when, when we left, I said, no punks get on the plane. Yeah. We can't have any punks on the plane. Everybody and got on the plane. Everybody got on the plane with the right set, their, with their jaws set. There we go. And you guys changed a lot, right? You morphed from that team October 8th against the Bears to that team that was playing a clean football game and, you know, beating the, you know, like today's version of the greatest show on turf. I mean, I really think Kansas City's that impressive, even without the tackles. Your look changed a lot too, Coach. You evolved over the year. You 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 went from different face mask coverings. You had like different <laughs> t- different the sash. Thing. The sash. Just take yeah. us through what <laughs> drove the fashion decisions of one Bruce Arians this year. The biggest thing with the mask is my damn glasses fogging up. I bet I bet I got twenty five products in the mail from people. Hey, this will fix your glasses. No, it doesn't. All right, my shit, I can't see, I can't coach. So I'd always have mine down below my nose, and the league was, hey, tell coach to get his mask up. I said, tell the league to get some damn products to stop my glasses from fogging. <laughs> All right, but the, the the belt pack, you know, I used to wear it around my waist, but I had to put it on so tight. It was pinching a nerve. I had some nerve. I had a back surgery last year, so it was kind of pinching this nerve going down my leg. So I've got this great assistant strength coach who – She's, she's amazing. And uh, she said, Coach, why don't you just wear it over your shoulder? You know, so I, at the Raiders at the halftime, it's killing me. So I throw it over my shoulder. Shit, the pain went away. So I just started wearing it like like a, a bullet pack. And and uh, it was it was a lot easier to work, too. 
And uh, so, yeah, that was really the story behind <laughs> the sash. Oh, it's amazing. It's a great look. It's a great look. I didn't fully understand it. And I've been on the sideline for, you know, well over a decade. So I know what pretty much everything looks like on a sideline. I was like, he's got some new shit. You do this like really unprecedented thing, you know, getting everybody back, which is really cool. And then I think the coolest thing you did was you waited till three days after you signed the last guy and you said, this is going to be the toughest camp of all time. <laughs> you got him back and you didn't tell him camp was going to suck. Or maybe they knew. I wonder when you're getting ready for a year like this, because I've been involved in one of those, because when I was in New England, then I left after. And I, I was really interested to see what it's like to repeat or what it's like to attempt to repeat. It's the hardest thing in sports. I think mean, anybody in football knows that. And I think coaches sometimes can beat it over the head that like, hey, look out for that slump. Look out for that complacency that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, if you say nothing about it, maybe your guys can't handle it and they're out there and it's a party all year. How do you toe that line as somebody who wants to get guys in the right mindset to repeat? Well, we have a very, very physical camp as it is. And I would think if we didn't have this again, we wouldn't be ready. Right. But it's kind of like you can measure yourself if we're going to be ready or not. Yeah. If we're practicing as hard as we did last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, last year was such a unique, crazy situation because we're tackling each other. We never tackle in camp, but, you know, not having any preseason games, we had to tackle somebody. Yeah. We had like college scrimmages in the stadium, and uh, I'd hold my breath every time somebody go out, you know, and because uh, you got you got your starters going against your starters, yeah. And so it's like, hey, that's enough, you know, that's enough. So I actually canceled the last one. I knew we were ready. So there's a good barometer, you know, to to see if the team is ready, and and they know it. Also, I start every practice with I call the accountability sheet. So every mental error and every penalty I put up in front of the team. So if you're on there too much, you either you're give a shit meter, don't run hot enough, or you're too fucking dumb to play for us. All right. So that's the only, that's the only answer to that question. If you're up there eight times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the great thing is, I think that's a real key. Like when I was in New England, I really liked what Bill did is like at the beginning of our meetings, we'd all sit in that room. And you know, like nothing gets your piss hot like the threat of you being chewed out in front of Tom Brady for being out of your gap, you know, and there's a lot of gap variation in that defense. But I'm just saying like being in that room, it's a big deal. And I don't think enough coaches do that. The importance of like holding each other accountable in the big room, you know, like I, you've been places I'm sure where everybody just breaks down yep. like immediately. It's like, good morning. All right, go with your coaches. And I think that's really cool. I mean, uh, I think that, that, that lights a fire. Yeah, I mean, I, I think accountability is the key word. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's not being accountable to me, it's being accountable to the guy next to you, you know? And uh, if you got five starting offensive linemen and one of them on that, on that sheet five times, they got an issue. Right. And they take care of it in their room, you know? So, but it, it also sends a message to the entire team. I used to love Larry Fitzgerald. I love him to death. And in my first year, he'd be up there and he'd get all pissed off and want to argue with me. I said, dude, I'm right. Don't, <laughs> don't get on. So if he was up there, maybe once every five weeks, oh, we'd have a hell of an argument because, oh, coach, that's embarrassing. I said, well, don't get your ass up there anymore then. Yeah. You know? And I love Larry. He's one of my all-time favorites. How's Tom as an arguer? 
You're really good. Really good. <laughs> really good. Uh, but still. There's can no the goat jerk. be wrong? The goat can there's be just, wrong, yeah? There's just one judge. Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> The goat can be wrong. Yeah, well, the goat oh, yeah. was wrong one time. <laughs> How much shit did you give him about this once the smoke cleared? <laughs> I, let, I let that one go. Okay, good, good, good. That's good of you. Okay, so you guys draft the Washington kid at the end of the first uh, round, who I like. Joe Tryon. The way I look at it, like everybody, you got to develop, right? But you guys don't have needs like that. I mean, I'm sure you have needs that you know about that other people don't know about that you have your finger on the pulse that we don't. But how do you draft when you do bring back all 22 guys? What's your approach? Yeah, you know, future contracts, those type of things, you know, getting guys in really critical positions in case of injury. Yeah. You can't have enough pass rushers. And, know that, uh, yeah. you know, when we saw Joe, it was like, this guy's arrow is going so far up. Yeah. He can improve so much, but he's a big, tall, bendy, twitchy guy. Looks like Godzilla. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, he's still got to learn how to take on blockers and stuff. But, man, can he rush the passer? He's just a natural bender. Yeah. I'm curious about pick 259, Mr. Irrelevant. Did you feel mm. a lot of pressure because you probably have 50 guys you draft, but only one of them's going to be drafted? In the NFL, in the NFL draft, the rest are going to be undrafted free agents for the rest of their lives. At two fifty nine, are you thinking, "Yikes, we're, we're we're changing the course of somebody's life here"? Yeah, man, what a dude, man! Uh, you talk about a story. I mean, his story is unbelievable. Um, basically, raising his brothers and sisters. You know, mom, mom had problems. Dad had was in prison, and. Um, this guy, you know, he's a, we talk about big hair, don't care. That's the way he plays, baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a throwback. And uh, he'll be a great special teams player, I think, and and work his way into a nickel linebacker position. But, man, he plays fast and hard and smart and tough. Jason drafted Larry Izzo, and it's a very similar type of guy, man. Mm. Just loves to play the game, can run and hit. You know, no OTAs this year for a lot of teams. But you look forward to this summer and you think – what i mean you might not see a lot of guys uh do you think it's going to be consistent what what are you looking forward to well i Um, I, for us having played so long you know our starters they don't they need to be getting in shape yeah they don't necessarily need to be going through otas practicing but when you look back to the 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 year two players had no development last year The, the rookies last year had no development so you're looking at three years now this draft class, Joe opted out and didn't play last year. Right. So if they don't have any spring, they're going to get killed in training camp. Right. I mean, they need spring ball. That's, the spring ball is really for the young guys. Yeah. You know, to to bring and build your depth. I mean, when you play as long as we did in, in the February, I'm not going to ask our guys. I have actually scheduled a week, one of the weeks, taking it out and, and move the mandatory minicamp up, and just do six uh, OTAs just just so the young guys can rehash and learn from all the mistakes we made last year. Even Tom needs to go. We, everybody needs to be in here learning from what we did when we lost those games and, and didn't play at our best um, and learn from the good things. Uh, but there's not a time, there's not enough time in training camp to rehash last year because you're on to next year. So that's really what the spring is all about is rehashing last year. It doesn't have to be super physical of any kind. You, shit, you can't be that physical anyway. Um, but, you know, it's more to me developing of young players who've missed it for the last three years. And like guys like us, like, you know, 
OTAs, even if you're older and you want to you want to work on your rushes or your hand fits, like the way people practice in OTAs is fast. It's physical. It's just not. We're not tackling. We're not putting helmets on each other. But you want to come off and shock the tackle and set the edge and work your feet and work your hands. Like you can do all that stuff in OTAs. So I do think. Yeah, if I had a choice, I might I might be there. And I'm not trying to say that because I got a coach on the line. Like, no bullshit. You want a job? No. Okay. Not unless somebody gets hurt after camp. <laughs> so, Bruce, yeah, you know. the, the last question I got for you is the conversation about knowing personnel. Like, knowing what your guys are like, right? Like, they all have different personalities, different things, like different buttons, et cetera. You talk to Tom about, hey, hey maybe we're going to draft – uh, Kyle Trask or something like that and you guys end up bringing back Blaine this year which is a big deal where do you stand on sharing with players like what the plan is of the organization I think there are certain guys you do that with yeah. you know um, just going through last year's free agency keeping Mike Evans Levante Sue and those guys in the loop you know on what, what we're thinking uh, because I, I lean on them I make a lot of decisions on what they tell me uh, how the locker room feels yeah. And um, so it's like, yeah, why wouldn't I tell Tom, hey, check out this little receiver, man. I love this dude. I think you'll really like him. Or, hey, we're probably going if, – if the right guy is there, we're going to take a quarterback, all right, in, in the, for the future. It's like, yeah, it's like if we're going to take a tackle, our, our line coach would call the guy, hey, man, we're probably going to take this guy. Just keep all the guys in the loop. I mean, it, it, because they need to take him under their wing. Yeah. They got to come in. You know, that's the greatest thing I always say about Jerome Bettis. He taught Willie Parker how to take his job and yeah. but it helped us win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And it helped him go to Detroit in his hometown and, and, and win a Super Bowl. So true veterans need to take these young guys under their wing. And so if there's animosity when they're coming in, that ain't going to happen, you know. Uh, but uh, I think a true vet, he gonna, he's gonna, if this guy's going to help us win, He's going to help him get ready. This is an alley-oop, Coach, but it's something you deserve to be praised for. You've got the most diverse staff in the NFL. Not only is that the right thing to do, how has that benefited your team? Oh, I think it's tremendous. You know, I think, Chris, you agree. You can't hear the same voice all the time. you got to hear some voices that look like you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and know where you came from and how the respect factor, uh, the teaching aspect, you can know all the football in the world, man. If you can't teach it, you can't coach. Yeah. And and uh, to hear it from African-Americans or Tom Moore, who's 83, yeah. and forgot more football than most of us know, or or Moral Jabba-Tafar or Lori Locust, a totally different way of teaching. But uh, it's a great – they still can teach. Best teachers I ever had to learn from were women. Yeah. So why can't they coach? They know what they're doing and pay their dues. They're hellacious teachers. Yeah, and you just uh, signed. I know AQ just joined uh, your staff, but also my old teammate, Thad Lewis, who is an all-time legend. I love that dude so much. I mean, when he was in the Rams, I was like, man, he's a pretty decent quarterback, but I think he's going to make a great coach. It was like literally we used to talk about that. So another good one joining the Bruce Arian staff. Another couple good ones joined the Bruce Arian staff. I want to leave you on this. I want to leave him with something too. Oh well, too. I get, can I leave you leave him first, and I'll leave him. Okay, second. perfect. I'm just wondering if you're taking the Lombardi to Blacksburg since they're not used to seeing trophies Ooh, around there. God, I don't know. I don't know. Last time I checked, 
15 and 1 is pretty good. Hey, listen. Okay. Hey, at 0 and 4 right here. <laughs> one and which one is never two. getting rectified. Where, where, that Commonwealth trophy has a, has a name Virginia Tech on it a lot. <laughs> hey, listen. If, if, if it fucking rings true, it rings true. I'm not even going to argue back with you right <laughs> hey, now. Hey, national coach. titles. I was yeah, we got, nat- we got natties. That's all I was but saying. But not in football. That's but fair. It's fair as fuck. All right, so the last thing I want to leave Coach with. <laughs> we did a combine recently here. The Greenlight Podcast Combine. Myself and Macon went out and competed in some drills. You want to tell them your times to see if Coach can find a place for you on the field and your measurables? Oh, sure. Six foot four, 162 pounds, 6.240, and a 14-inch vertical. What's your degree in? <laughs> English. Uh, yeah, there's probably a marketing job for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Sales. Somewhere in sales. Oh, he can sell. <laughs> glue guy, locker room guy. He's a glue guy. Coach Arians, appreciate you coming on, man. It's always a pleasure talking with you, and congratulations. I was really happy for you guys, man. You guys deserved it. What a year. Appreciate it, brother. Tell the family hi for me. Hey, big thanks, guys. Big thanks for sticking around. I mean, it's weird to thank you for listening to like an amazing podcast with two great guests and uh newly minted talent at chalk studios making gunter under contract bro nah con i'm not under contract (laughs) hey i do want to i do want to say that uh if there's any veterans listening apps are open for 2022 conquering killer we had to take a year off this year because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic novel of course made it hard to travel to east africa and climb the world's highest walkable mountain 19,341 feet you will have a great week with pro football players mma fighters basketball players bunch of interesting people and of course you veterans uh leading the way so check it out at waterboys.org slash killy if you are a veteran hit us up and get in the lotto and you can climb that mountain with us what about like me? You are just south of verified on Twitter. You're probably almost good to go. You get verified, you can go. Okay. Cool. 2024. Big Cat says he's going to go at some point. Soft verbal commit. Yeah. Y'all take care. Yeah! You the talker, you I'm going to bite you.